Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see all of your happy, smiling faces here this morning. So happy to be able to open the Word again with you today. We're continuing in our series in Hebrews. We're going to be continuing, as you just heard, through the uh, Hebrew, through Hebrews chapter 11. And like we've said the last couple of weeks, this is called the Hall of Faith chapter. And continuing it today, we're going to see a couple accounts of men and women that exemplified this faith. They exemplified this confidence that we've been talking about as we've been going through Hebrews. But in it, there's more depth and there's deeper understanding of this word than you might have thought possible with just small, a small bit of eight verses. So every account that we're going to be walking through this morning has massive application for each of us. Because each one brings into play the reminder that faith consists of identity, action, and rest. Identity, action, rest. Remember these three words. It's, it's important, and you're going to get sick of hearing me say it, but just remember them. So this has been a really interesting week for me. It started last Sunday. I, I was given this immense honor of being able to serve you all here as a pastor at WCC. That, that's how my week started. Yeah, Whew, praise God, right? So initially, before they laid hands on me, I, I thought to myself, okay, cool, all right, this is awesome, sweet. It's probably not going to feel any different, though. Like, this is just business as usual. I've been, I've been working here for the last six years. Like, nothing's going to be different. It's just going to be the same old, same old. And I was so, so wrong. I was so wrong in that. So from the moment I stepped off the stage, I was hit with this massive reality that this is actually a really big deal. I started thinking about this calling, like this lofty call, this position that comes with so much responsibility. And I felt that this complete joy of being able to serve the Lord in this capacity, but just this immense weight that was behind it. So from there, I started thinking about how from this point forward, I, I'm going to do things differently. I got I to be, be better. I got to be different. So my time in student ministry needs to have more depth, right? It's, it's, it's not been good enough the last six years. Like there, there's got to be more depth now. I need to get better at, at shaking hands and kissing babies. I need to be out there in the world. I need to be doing it. I have to make sure I sound smarter. I have to use the big words, the vis-a-vis concordantlys, right, while I'm preaching. And my sermons, they better be perfectly on point with the most profound of all the thoughts every single time I speak. And in this mentality, after studying this passage thoroughly that we're going to be going through today, reading every commentary I had, doing all the due diligence, I started writing this sermon today. And after 10 hours of writing between Wednesday and Thursday, I finished it. And I was so excited about it. I was like, yes. But there was, there was this nervousness. There was this, I, I felt so worried because this is the big one. This is my first sermon as a pastor. So different, right? And not only that, we have a new structure in our little preaching collective is what we call it, that each week, those of us preaching in this new system, every Friday, we present our sermon to the other guys for encouragement, constructive criticism, all that kind of stuff. So Friday, I stood up, I presented it, sat down, and the men began to lovingly share that I missed it. I missed it. 
Needless to say, I, I felt so broken with this entire week, this mentality of like, man, I got I to do this. I got to prove myself to this church body. Like, I, I can do this. I can, I can serve them in this capacity. And after hearing that, I just I felt so broken. And even though they shared it in love, and I love those men for sharing it, after the process I had during the week, like I said, I just I felt so beat down. Knowing I was going to have to rewrite this whole thing. But you know what? From this experience, God revealed to me something that is so, so beautiful. And honestly, I'm so grateful for this trial over the last week because the truth of this passage was brought to life in my mind because of this. The main aspects of faith we're going to be looking into today, it, it just impacted me, it hit me. As Dan always says, it's not about me mastering the word, it's that the word mastered me through this process. And I pray that as we go through this, it's going to be the same for you too. That being that we have confidence in our Savior. And in this confidence, in this faith, there is identity, there's action, and there's rest. When we have faith in God, we know our identity. Our identity is not a job, it's not a title, it's not the things that we think we do best. Our identity is in the one we have the confidence in. We have our identity in the one who saved us, sustains us, the one that sanctifies us day by day. And in this faith, there's action. And in my scenario for this week, it's trusting him in my job. Trusting him and not caving just because it's hard. Writing and rewriting to honor him. And then from there, rest in the knowledge that he's in control. We don't have to fear the outcomes. We don't have to fear man or fear the future because we know all things work together for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. There's rest Knowing Christ completed it all for me and for you when he gave his life and rose again, defeating death. So for me this week, by God's grace, there was a wake-up call that I can have confidence in my Savior. It's not about me. But I will act on his behalf for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom, and from that I can rest in him. not fearing man, not fearing failure, and not fearing the unknown. So I want you to remember all of this as, as we walk through these verses this morning. I told you were going to get sick of hearing me say these things. Faith consists of identity, action, and rest. Asking yourself the question, I want you to process this as we go through it. In your life, where is your identity? In your life, where is your faith? Is it active or is it passive? And in your life, is there rest or is there fear? Because the answer to these questions could reveal the truth about where your faith actually is today. Dearly Father God, I just come before you so grateful that we could be together. God, I'm so grateful that you have allowed me to, to serve you in this way. God, I pray this morning that you would remove me completely 
God, that this would fully be about you. God, that you would speak through me. God, that you're, you would just use your words in Scripture to change hearts and minds this morning. And God, thank you for the knowledge that we have identity in you. God, thank you that we can rest knowing that you are good no matter what life brings. God, we love you and praise you. So we're going to be diving in, like I said before, Hebrews chapter 11, and it is a direct look at the book of Exodus. Throughout the book of Exodus, we see this story of Moses taking place, and the biggest, the biggest chunk of what we're going to be talking about is this account of Moses. So at the beginning of Exodus, we're introduced to this new king that's over Egypt, and he is scared to death of the Israelite people. Because their, their population had grown so exponentially that, that he was afraid something was going to happen. Obviously, it was big enough that the king was afraid of some kind of overthrow or, or something if the people wanted to. So this being the case, he made the Israelite people slaves. He forced them into hard labor, and on top of that, he sent out an edict that all the male Hebrew boys would be killed. That's, that's some fear of the people, right? He's like, I'm going to put you in slavery, and on top of that, I don't want any more boys being born. Just kill them all off. And all of this was in hopes that this massive population would dwindle down and not be a threat to them anymore. Which brings us into this first account in Hebrews we get to study this morning, starting in verse 23. If you have your Bibles, please open to Hebrews 11:23. It says this, By faith, Moses, when he was born was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's evil. So right here, we're plopped down, smack dab in the middle of the mess that's happening in Egypt with this story of faith from people that, honestly, we hardly ever, if ever, talk about when we go through the massive heads of the faith, right? We go through, we're like, oh yeah, Abraham, Moses, David, not really talking about Moses' parents, right? It's not usually on the radar. Which takes us into Exodus 2. The beginning of Exodus, Exodus 2, we see parents, these parents of Moses, that tried their absolute best to hide this beautiful child of theirs. They tried. But after three months, they couldn't keep him hidden. It's just not possible. For any of you that have had a baby at some point, they are loud. They, they are not easy to stay hidden. So it would make sense that after three months, you hit eight, three months of age, and it's just, it's just craziness. So it makes sense. So in the last-ditch effort to save their son, they put him in a basket and sent him down the river. But this wasn't a fingers-crossed kind of scenario here. That's why they're in this Hall of Faith chapter. That's why they're in chapter 11. They had complete confidence in the one true God. They had faith he would protect this child no matter what the king said. They had confidence in the Lord Jesus just as Abraham did with Isaac. So death was looming with this edict. No matter what way you flip it, death was looming. That was going to or potentially could affect this precious son of theirs. But they knew no matter what, God was good. 
with this incredible introduction to the account of Moses, we're already struck with the reality that faith is not the hope things are going to turn out the way you want them to. It's not what faith is. It's a trust. It's a true confidence in the one true God. In this faith by Moses' parents, it wasn't a sure thing that their son was going to survive. But even in that, they had faith that God was in control with the prayer and the desire that he be saved. They could rest in the knowledge that whatever the outcome, that God is sovereign. They acted even with the potential of disaster ahead, trusting and having confidence no matter the outcome. So from here we fast forward. We're looking at Exodus 2.11, where a 40-year-old Moses had, has a, a revelation of this existential crisis that he's trying to get through, and that is who he, who he is, where he is, what his identity is, and then what it should be. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So after his parents' faith putting him in the river, Moses was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. I'm sure most of you know the story. And it says in Acts that he was raised in all the ways of the Egyptians. So Moses could have lived out his days in luxury. He was in the palace. We all know if you look at Egyptian history, they had some cool stuff, right? They had gold. They had that eyeliner that went up their head. Moses could have lived out his days there. And he probably would have continued to move up the chain of leadership in Egypt if he would have stayed, making him even more powerful as time went on. So instead, however, Moses realized something. This isn't who he is. This lifestyle is not honoring to the one true God. He needed to leave the comfort of royalty and go back to his true identity. That being a follower of God and one of God's chosen people. In this shift from riches to rags, we see an action in faith. When Moses recognized the error of his ways, when he recognized this false identity, he acted in confidence in his God by stepping away from the sinfulness of the Egyptian culture. He stepped away from this culture into one of mistreatment, like, like the passage talks about. So in this action of refusing the sinful life, we don't see fear, though. He didn't say, I'm stepping away from Egypt because I'm afraid of Egypt. That's not what he said. We see an identity, we see an action, and in this we see a rest. And a confidence in the only one who can be fully trusted. So verse 26 that we're going to be going into is a continuation of verse 25. So on top of a shift in identity, on top of the action to leave a sinful life to honor the Lord, and a confidence in the God, he had true faith. In verse 26 it said, he had true faith and then he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He considered the, rep the reproach of Christ better 
the reproach, if you don't know, and I feel like this doesn't really do it justice, but the dictionary definition of it is the expression of disapproval or disappointment. I feel like it's, it's a lot deeper than that when we're talking about the reproach of Christ, right? It is a, it's a lot deeper. There's a lot more stacked on top of it. So within the identity, action, and rest, we see another layer of this emerge, that Moses would rather take on the reproach of the world for the sake of Christ rather than continue in a life of sin. Even if that means leaving the wealth and the comfort he grew up knowing his whole life up to this point. When Moses came to this profound realization, there was a pendulum swing. A swing that he would rather be beat down and battered for the sake of God the God who keeps his promises, who is great and greatly to be praised, he would rather leave his comfortable life than stay in a life of sin. And he would do all of this looking to the true reward. Moses, just like all the individuals that we've talked about before and are going to talk about, it, they were looking forward as Chad talked about last week, there was a, a forward looking to the reward. A looking forward to the day we will, as believers, feast in the house of Zion together. This faith we've been talking about is always backwards and forwards facing. Might sound weird, but just hear me out. For them at that time, it was backwards, remembering the promises of the coming salvation, the coming Messiah, and looking forward to the day that he would come, looking to an eternity with him. For us now, it's a constant remembering of the Messiah who did come, Jesus Christ, that lived the perfect life, died on the cross and rose again so we could be saved if we put our faith and trust in him, looking forward to the day we will get to be with him forever, backwards and forwards. In this passage, we see this incredible picture of Moses looking forward to the coming Savior, remembering and having confidence in the promises of God. And in this, with his faith in the coming Messiah, identifying with God's people, willing to take on the reproach of Christ over the treasures that the world had to offer, living out Matthew 6, 19 through 20 that says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in. Suffering for the true good news of the coming Savior. Moses knew that nothing outside of the true Savior could satisfy even before Jesus came. I want that to sink in for a second. Moses, all the previous people that we talked about, and all of those to come, had such deep confidence in the Lord their God that they suffered for the good news of their Messiah before he had even arrived. They trusted what God said so deeply that even in the unknown, even in the pain they experienced, they knew the promises of God, that the promises that God had made were better. They knew even back then that Jesus was better. Their faith and identity was in Jesus, 
as our faith and our identity should be today. They acted for the sake of honoring God, living their lives for him, always looking forward, continuing to move and act for the good news of the then, their coming Messiah, and for us to keep moving and acting for the sake of the risen king. Acting in our sharing and acting in our caring. All while resting in the promises of the Lord. Knowing he's above all things, in all things, through all things. We have nothing to fear. We don't have to fear failure. We don't have to fear man. We don't have to fear anything. Because we can rest in this confidence. We can rest in this faith. In our confidence in him. That's why the accounts that we're walking through are so noteworthy. It's because of the way they identified. It's the way that they acted and the way that they rested. Not fearing the consequences. Which, mind you, at the time, it could have been severe if you sided with God and not the sinful culture. If you rathered the reproach of Christ than caving to the world, it could have been a really big deal for you. All the time you hear people today say, man, this is it. Society is the worst. And times are coming, people. Such a bad society. Now, I'm not saying society is not bad. It is. And honestly, I've been that guy before, too. You look around and go, Jesus, come back, please, right now. This is so bad. But if you look back at the ancient cultures, you could have been killed on the spot for identifying with something other than what they believed. In ancient Egypt, if you improperly worshipped a god, or if you refused to do so, it meant death. It wasn't a, oh, okay, cool. You, you know, I believe what I believe, you believe what you believe. Nope. It was, you're dead. Done. That's what Moses faced here. And honestly, leaving the Egyptian people to go back to his people... Think about the, even the, the massive weight that that would entail for him. So after this look at Moses' shift in perspective, we're transported forward to what I believe is a reference to Exodus 12, where it says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So with this verse, there are some scholars that say that this is a connection to Exodus 2, 14 through 15, where Moses fled Egypt initially. But others, even though out of chronological order, see this as when Moses and the people of Israel left Egypt. But like I said previously, I see it as the latter in connection to Exodus 12 because it seemed to be when he left Egypt initially, when he fled, it was actually out of fear. Initially, he had just killed a, an Egyptian, and he, he was like, well, I got to get out of here, because the Hebrew people were turning on him, and they're like, what are you going to do, kill us too? And so he bolted. But when Moses and the people left, it wasn't out of fear. It was out of true faith and belief in the one that released them. Either way, this passage brings in something so profound into connection to what we just saw. Because of his identity and his confidence in God, Moses was able to rest and not fear the consequences, as it says. He knew that no matter what happened, God was in control. 
with the beautiful line at the end that he endured as seeing him was invisible. He stuck it out because he saw God through it all, even though invisible. This is true faith, and I think it's so relevant to the here and now. So often I've heard, how can I believe in a God that I can't see? And the answer is, you can. Like I talked about two weeks ago, it's not a blind faith. It's a confidence in the one we know is true. Even though invisible, he's still visible. And in this, even though the trials Moses endured, and even through this, excuse me, the trials that Moses endured, he did it because he knew that this was true. He saw the visible invisible. Identifying in the invisible visible God, acting by leaving and resting, not fearing. So if my assessment of this verse is correct, that falls in line with Exodus rather than Moses fleeing, then this next verse is, is taking a step back to the final plague in Egypt. So verse 28 says this, By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So every year, the Jewish people celebrate Passover. So this, is a, this is a great time. It's a celebration. It all revolves around what this verse is talking about from Exodus 12. In Exodus 12, 1 through 28, we see this last plague in Egypt ramping up, getting ready. And God tells his people, the people of Israel to put blood on the doorposts of their homes with an unblemished lamb as the sacrifice. When the people did this, it was a sign of faith in God. The angel of death would pass over the home. And those who refused would wake up to their firstborn son being dead. What they didn't know at the time is that this is a direct foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. The one they looked to who would be the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice. And if you put your faith and trust in him, believe as the people did, putting the blood on the doorpost, you will be saved. The people then had this beautiful faith in their coming Messiah. As we have this faith in the one who accomplished everything on the cross. Who rose again, defeating death. In this verse, it actually ends our Moses account, even though it's continuing the plot line, because it's transitioning from Moses to the people. We see it started with Moses' parents, then it's this whole section about Moses himself, and then it goes into the people that Moses was with. In verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. So I want you to imagine something. Close your eyes, whatever you have to do to imagine things. You're standing in front of Windsor Lake. It's a beautiful, sunny day. Children are playing in the sand. That one old guy who thinks he's too cool for school, he's strutting down the beach. And as you gaze out at the greenish-colored water, you look over and you see that old guy pick up a stick. He holds out over the water, and he yells at the sky until the whole lake splits in two. 
two giant walls of water on either side going straight up, 100 stories. Now, would you just meander yourself out into these open walls of water? Anybody? Seems like insanity, right? But that's just how much confidence, that's just how much faith these people had in God. He told them what would take place in Exodus 14, and they believed him. Even the impossible they knew was possible with the one that they trusted. Their forward-looking faith created the confidence in God they knew so well. While the Egyptians, with their faith in their false gods, their faith in their things and the world and their sinfulness, it led to straight disaster when the God of the universe revealed himself, dropping those walls of water on their heads. Like I said at the beginning of this verse, this is a transition to the faith of the people. We get to see a clear picture that in the crazy supernatural, what seems to be impossible, the people are identifying with who they serve by trusting enough, by having confidence enough to take the proverbial step of faith. In this identity, they acted by taking that step. And in their confidence in him, they rested knowing that they would cross safely. When you think about my story about, the, about Windsor Lake and that old guy holding the stick, I feel like the reason that you wouldn't or really shouldn't step out would be a complete lack of confidence in the old guy with the stick, right? Like, how is he even doing this? This doesn't make any sense. But for the people then, it wasn't about the old guy with the stick. It was who that old guy worked for. The only one that then, for them then and us now, that we can have full assurance in. So continuing on with this theme of the people trusting, we're brought into Joshua chapter 6, which is represented in Hebrews 11.30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to us. So the account of Jericho is a reminder to us now and to the people then that the Israelites had to consistently put their faith in the Lord before the battle was even won, knowing he was already the victor. In Joshua 6, 1 through 21, the Israelites were facing this impenetrable city. One they knew would take... that. The, they knew that they would take because God promised them that they would. They trusted in his promises. And even in the face of the impossible, God made a way and showed himself true as he always had. He brought down the walls, and all the people did, if you read the story, right, for seven days they wandered around the city. God's like, I'm going to show my power so much, you guys just walk around it. And at the end of it, make some noise, right? like clapping to, clapping to God, everything that he's done, and then, boom, walls fall down. Pretty cool. Because of their identity, the people acted without the battle even being waged. Because they could rest knowing the victory was already secured. 
Then pointing backwards prior to the wall following, a prostitute in Jericho knew what the Lord said about the city. He, she knew what was said was true and hid the spies Joshua sent in, saying this, Joshua 2, 8 through 11. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan and Sion and Og whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Rahab, like this verse talks about, others as well heard about this God of Israel and believed, even though they weren't of Israel. She only heard about him, but knew it was true knew he was real and was willing to act for the sake of this God that created everything that she knew so well. Are you all seeing a connection here to all this? If Rahab wouldn't have heard about God, if the people wouldn't have had their identity in the right place, if they wouldn't have acted, doing as God commanded, not fearing but resting and moving forward, she wouldn't have heard or known and therefore wouldn't have believed. In all of this, from every person forward, we see this faith on display with three key factors that we've just hammered this morning, that you could all quote them. Identity, action, and rest. In identity, we know who we are because we know who we serve. We know the truth of the good news that we will align with and we will stand by. And in action, we take steps forward for the sake of the one that we serve. We will move in the face of adversity. We will share this good news we identify with so others like Rahab can hear and believe. And in all of it, we can rest in the fact that no matter the outcome, we have a good and faithful God. We can know that through the trials and persecution, God is in control. We can know that the reward is ahead. We can trust that through it all, we will at the end. We put our faith and trust in Jesus, feast in the house of Zion together. So I want you to think through this faith that we've been shown this morning, this faith that finds its identity in Christ, Faith that acts for the sake of truth and the faith that rests in the knowledge of our incredible King. Trusting in his promises, looking to the reward, and I want you to ask yourself again, where is your faith today? Where is your identity today? Identity is the jumping off point that this confidence in our Savior is built on. So do you identify with the risen Savior? Do you wholeheartedly live your life connecting to the truth that Jesus came, leaving his throne in heaven to come here to be with his people, 
he didn't put it together. This is Moses' account being foreshadowed. Moses' account was foreshadowing the coming Savior. Do you believe that Jesus lived the perfect life so he could be the perfect sacrifice, the unblemished lamb, the blood shed on the doorpost that was also the direct foreshadowing of Jesus shed blood on the cross? that was shed to set his people free as the Israelites were set free from Egypt and held back the waters of death so his people could walk through on dry ground. Do you believe this? Because Jesus and what he did should in every way be our identity. Because of these truths I just talked about, we act. We leave our lives of sin to pursue honoring and glorifying our king. We act by taking the reproach of Christ, not following the pattern of this world, even if it means persecution, holding fast to our visible, invisible God. We act by taking steps into the unknown for the sake of the king and the kingdom. We act by sharing this incredible good news with other people. We need to go out into the world, not sit in our little bubble. Faith is acting. Matthew 28, 18, go therefore, making disciples of all nations, going out no matter the consequences because we can always rest knowing God is in control. He is there. What can man do to you? What can Satan do to you? Because we can rest in this risen Savior. Church family, I want to encourage you this morning to remind yourself daily of your true identity and dig deep to see if your identity truly lies in this truth. I want to encourage you to act. Faith doesn't sit on the sidelines. Faith is active. And I want to encourage you, even with the way of the world, even in the pain of trials, even when brokenness, sickness, death, whatever it might be is at your doorstep, church, rest in the confidence you have the confidence that you have in your Lord and Savior. Rest in the fact that it's because of your identity in Christ you will be with your Creator forever. And from this identity, acting and resting takes place. Write it down through the week. Think about it. Ponder it. What should our true identity be? What does action look like and what does rest? Oh, God, thank you. Thank you so much again for this time. Just thank you for your words. Thank you for um, that active and living and breathing and that you change our hearts and our minds with it and through it. God, I just want to pray as we leave here today that you would continually remind us of, of this identity we have in you. God, what you would have us do to act for your sake and knowing we can rest in you. God, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name.